Hi there. I've uh, labelled today's talk Countercultural Kingdom. I spoke uh, a little while ago about going against the flow. Um, you can find that on the church website. So I've got a different talk from that one. I'm not uh, doing that one again. I don't know about you, but I have to limit the amount of news that I listen to. News today isn't encouraging, and it can easily get me down if I hear too much of it. I especially don't want to listen to it just before I'm going to bed. Um, and Sue likes the news more than I do. Uh, it's good to keep up with what's happening, but sometimes I walk out of the room. You know, it's, it's wars, disasters, rising costs, climate change, terrorists... The world seems in a huge mess, and so many, of us, so many of us are scared, frustrated, and angry. We seem to be facing problems that are so impossible to solve. Some people are unwilling to adapt and force their ways on other people. The world seems to be a scary, unpredictable place. But the followers of Christ are called to a different type of kingdom, from the one which is around us that we're in. I'm going to read to you Matthew 6. So it says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat, eat them, and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your eye is like a lamp that provides a light for your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is filled with light. When your eye is unhealthy, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how deep that darkness is. No one can serve two masters. You'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. That's why I tell you, do not worry about your everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store up food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he'll certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things, saying, what shall we eat and what shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek first. Seek the kingdom of God above all else 
and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I'm just going to repeat those last two verses. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything that you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. God tells us to take life one day at a time and to put his kingdom first. He promises us that he, he will supply us with everything that we need and we have to learn to trust in him. But you usually have to wait because God seems to never be in a hurry. It's very frustrating in our instant age. The problems that we face here in South London are nothing new. History is full of crises, much worse than what we're facing, what I'm personally facing at present. The majority of the world's population are facing far greater issues than you or I do. They'd love to be in your shoes with the problems that you have. The UK may be in a mess, but it's still the sixth largest economy in the world. So why is it that mental health issues are so prevalent in the UK and in rich countries like ours? One of the problems is that the culture that we live in hasn't prepared us for all this multi multitude of issues that we face. We struggle to cope with a world that's ever-changing and get frustrated. I'm sorry to say that I get exasperated more and more as I get older. I find that things that I used to take for granted, I can't do. They have to be done differently now. Technology is making our world quicker and different all the time. It does bring benefits, but it we're forced to change, to adapt to it, whether we like it or not. Technology is taking over jobs that were once done by people. Artificial intelligence is something that's having more and more impact in our world. I don't know whether you've heard of the latest programs. There's one called ChatGPT. Now this can write articles, it can write songs, it could, I could even got it to write this sermon. All I have to do is program it, it says, write me a sermon on, uh, on the, you know, seek first the kingdom of God, and it, it searches on the internet and then produces a sermon for me, an individual one. It's going to have a huge impact on our schools and universities because they can't trace whether it comes from a machine or whether it's something that the, the child has produced. The world's changing and we have to adapt. Technology is only as good as the program that runs it. It's certainly not as adaptable as when we had the option to talk to a human being to discuss the issue that you have. That's one of the reasons I get exasperated with it. You can't reason with a machine or technology. It only responds to how it's been programmed. I hate change. And I often hate technology these days because it infuriates me. I don't think I'm alone. 
The world's in a huge mess, and I haven't, I can't begin to uh, find the answers to solve it. Thankfully, that's not my problem to solve. But the world bombards us with things that it promises will help us to be happy. But it's like putting a sticking plaster over a septic wound. It covers over the issue, but it, it doesn't solve it. The culture that we live in screams at us every day. The list here. Remember, these are all lies. Culture says that happiness is found in having things. It says that you should get all that you can for yourself as quickly as you can. It says security is found in money, power, status and good health. It says above all, you should seek all the pleasure, convenience and comfort that you can. It says God is irrelevant to everyday life. It says that Christianity is just one of many alternative spiritualities. It says that there's no ab moral absolutes. Whatever's true for you is what's true. It says you're not responsible for anyone but yourself. And it also says that life on earth is all that there is. A different way of looking at it that uh, if you've done the Freedom in Christ uh, course, then you may remember the, th the formulas that the, the world tells us are true. It says, performance and accomplishments equal our significance, that status and recognition equal security, and appearance and admiration equal acceptance. But there is a, these are all things that we should be getting from our relationship with God, not from the world, not from other people. A while back, uh, I had a period of success. I got noticed on the internet big time. People acclaimed me for what I do. I got to write a successful book. I do admit that it was all rather flattering and exciting. I was fulfilling the Western notion of looking for a dream inside myself and then fulfilling it. My accomplishments were noticed and recognized. I was accepted and acclaimed. I felt significant because people liked what I was doing. But the happiness that it brought does not last. You get to the top, but then you have to reinvent yourself to stay there. You're soon forgotten as the next celebrity uh, gets their bit of attention. I was encouraged to post uh, some of my work onto Instagram and I dabbled in it, but I soon got fed up with it because it's a place where everyone's trying to fight their own little corner. You know, it's everyone saying, look at me, look what I do, like what I do, you know, promote what I'm doing. I just couldn't be bothered. So it just seemed a waste of time to me. There's an emptiness when you don't get the feelings that you're one of the special ones anymore. When the United States was set up in 1776, Congress wrote a declaration, an independence declaration. This is what they said. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator 
with certain unalienable rights, and among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The United Nations made their own declarations. They made the Human Rights Bill after World War II. And we expect to be given human rights today without question. In our Western culture, we expect a right to happiness. And we feel let down when we don't get, get it, when we're not happy. We've got so much choice in our Western world these days. And the current option that lots of people are discussing is what gender do you want, do you want to be? What is it that's going to make you happy and fulfilled? But if you read that 1776 declaration, you won't find a right to happiness. What they said was that they gave people the right to seek happiness. Happiness is something that you have to pursue for yourself. But we live in an age of entitlement. So many of us expect to be given everything. Given so much. And when we get a bad deal, then we've also got our blame culture. You'll often find that your problems are someone else was negligible. You can sue them. So we have to look over our acts to make sure that somebody's not going to sue us for what we forgot to do. I heard a talk uh, by a guy called uh, Michael Youssef on Premier Radio at Christmas time. He was talking about the difference between happiness and joy. In our culture, these two words are used interchangeably. But they are very different experiences. Happiness is something, it's a feeling that's dependent on your circumstances. The materialistic Western world will tell you that if you get this next thing, then you're going to be happy. And you do feel good when you get it. But for how long? It's a temporary feeling that you'll soon lose as the novelty wears off, your shiny car gets a scratch, or that iPhone 27 that you've gotten so proud of and can show off to your friends is soon superseded by the iPhone 28. It's old hat. And the happiness is addictive. You'll soon be striving for your next fix of happiness. Sorry, I lost my notes. <laughs> uh, happiness becomes, becomes short-lived and it becomes, your need for it becomes greater. It's just like being an alcoholic or a drug addict. You know, you need more and more. The more you get, the more you need. It's like a, trying to grab a bar of wet soap. You know, it can slip out your hands the more you try and grab it. But on the other hand, joy. True joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's something that you can only get by abiding in God. The fruit of the Spirit has got nine different values. They're all bound together. It's, you've heard of buy one, get one free. This is a, a buy one, get nine, uh, get eight, eight more, you know. Fruit grows by being attached to a plant. 
You can hang bits of fruit onto a plant, but they'll soon wither. True fruit will grow organically, naturally, just because it's attached to a healthy plant. It's a natural result of a healthy plant. I'm going to read to you uh, John 15 now. Jesus said, I am the true grapevine, and my father's the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit, so that they'll produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message that I've given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine, and you can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I've loved you even as my Father's loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things that, so that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I've told you everything that the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. And I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command, love each other. So stop striving for happiness or even joy. You won't get it. Joy grows organically or naturally as you rest assured in God's love for you and as you allow the Holy Spirit to work through you. While you abide in God's love for you, he expects us to be loving to those around us. Love is the key to the other nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. Fruit is, uh, we're expected to bear fruit, not for, just for our own benefit, it's mainly for the benefit of others. Fruit grows on a tree for the benefit of something else. So when you're loving, you will experience the joy of the Lord. But we live in a world of trouble and hardship, which can easily make us sad. Romans 8:28 is a much quoted verse, but it can be used out of context or slightly out of context. Romans 8:28 says, 
And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. The simplified version of this verse says that when God allows something to happen to us, it means that he's got something better for us. So the simplified version says that a young girl dies, she's hit by a speeding motorist. And because of her death, a new law is written that gives us harsher penalties to reckless drivers. Is that supposed to comfort grieving parents? They, whatever they feel about that, they have to learn to live with the loss of a daughter. They have to adapt. Nothing is going to bring their daughter back to them. We should read Romans 8.28 with the next verse, Romans 8.29. I'll read the two together. It says, We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So what this verse really means is that bad things can often be simply bad but God can use them to bring good. God redeems bad things, even though they may remain painful in themselves. God works things to make us more like Jesus. That's what verse 29 says. If we allow God to use those circumstances, he will make us more Christ-like. Because God rejected Jesus while he took on the punishment of sin that we deserve, then God will never reject us. Jesus broke the sin barrier so that we can be, have an intimate relationship with God once more, forevermore, just like God originally intended in creation. If you carry on reading in Romans 8, it has these verses. From verse 35, it says, Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean that he no longer loves us if we have trouble or cal calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever separate, be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God wants our obedience motivated out of a love relationship with him, not because he's a power freak. If you only love God because of the benefits that you expect him to give you, then you'll soon be disappointed. Friends work together for the common good. Although standalone verses 
seem to say that God's going to protect you from all danger, the fuller context of what God promises, that he will stand with you in the danger. There's a guy in the 1700s called Jonathan Edwards, and he sums up Romans 8 in these three phrases. He said that it says that our bad things will turn out for good, that our good things can never be lost, and thirdly, that the best things are yet to come. Nothing at all can separate us from the love of God. Because of the rejection that Jesus took for us, then God will never reject us. God has promised, so it's a certainty. In this world of trouble and fear, we need to nurture our trust in God. We need to find things that will remind us of his constant love. Things that will remind you that he will never leave you alone in danger. He wants to help us through the problems that we face. If you think about the prayers that we often make, they're full of demands that God take away a problem that we face. And when God doesn't answer the, the, the prayer just how we want it, then we doubt his love for us. Read through the prayers in the New Testament. The early church was in huge dangers. They were under great threats. And yet the prayers that you'll find in the New Testament are very different from the ones that we make, usually. They ask for God's presence to help them stand firm, to remain secure in God's love for them, and to share God's love with the world around them. I'm going to read to you a prayer by Paul, uh, written in Ephesians. And note that there's no request here to rescue them from the troubles that they were facing. This is Ephesians 3. It says, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down, grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you'll be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. So what can we do to nurture a faith like Paul's? Your faith is just like your bank account. You can only draw money from your bank account when you've put money into it. You have to make deposits to make withdrawals. So you have to fill your mind with good things. Don't fill it with fear or worry. If you fill it with that, then don't expect to be able to draw faith and trust in God. In this uncertain, troubled world, you must stop several times every day to remind yourself of God's love for you if you want to remain strong in your faith. You need regular reminders that when bad things happen, God 
wants to make them good for you. Wants to, if you partner with him, then he will bring them for your good, make you more Christ-like. I've learnt over the years that Christian music is a key to my faith hanging on in there. So I listen to as much Christian music as I can. And something that I've found recently uh, on YouTube was uh, the Psalms Project. They're putting psalms, whole psalms, not just bits of psalms, to music. And I want to play one to you in a moment. Please uh, listen to this psalm, meditate on it, listen to the words. Don't just listen to a song, think about what it's saying. It's a musical prayer. The psalms are good for you. You can't go wrong with psalms. It reminds you that people in the past went through similar things to what you're going through. So please listen to this song. You'll have the words up. Uh, uh, the YouTube video's got the, the words with it. So please stop, listen to it, and find God's peace as you're reminded of the truth that it, it has.
some discussion questions now uh, as usual it says what stood out to you most about this talk now I've said that Christian music is something that I found works with me it may not work with you so we're all different so share with each other something that you do to help you draw close to God each day and then the most important thing pray with each other that you'll find ways to remind you of God's love for you daily. <laughs>